0: Welcome to Covenant Life Church, a ministry that is committed to helping you discover Christ's purpose for your life and leading you towards your best existence by providing you with meaningful ways to affect positive change in your world. Join Pastor Shane as he delivers a powerful and inspirational message for your life today. And I believe that God's calling us as a community to some amazing things in the future as we were designing, and you're going to see some of this rolled out in the next couple of weeks, the the building that we believe that God is, is calling us to build, or at least a version of that. We don't know ultimately where all that will look or how it will be, but God has put a vision on our heart about how we plan to minister moving forward from this place into the next. Last week, they had so many kids back there that they hardly had enough uh, chairs for them in the second service, and so this is an environment. It's not just what's going on in here, but but it's what's happening everywhere throughout the church. And you see it. Our church every year is consistently grown. And one of the exciting parts about that is that we are all participants in the church's growth and in its destiny. As I was thinking through this, this part of the Catalyst series, I think this is the last one. I, I don't know. The Lord may say, hey, no, you got one more. But what I'm planning on is this being the last of this series. And as I was thinking about this series, I have come to a text today that I've never preached so since being in this church at least. And I'm excited about bringing the word to you. But as I was preparing for this message, I was reminded of something that happens in our household pretty much every day. How many of you have the same fights in your household over and over and over again about the same things over and over and over again? This is particularly true if you have children. Because I don't know what it is about kids, but kids have different learning speeds than what we would like And so I I think to be a, I like to be a generous dad and I like to do good things for my kids. But sometimes I'm just done. I don't want to do anything else for them. And I want to tell you the behavior that drives me crazy, the fights that just sends me over the edge every single time. In my households, we are often trying to help our children to learn to share. And so they'll ask dad, dad, can we get a treat? And so dad will go and buy them a, 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 a cake or, or something to drink, or, or whatever. Whatever it is that they're asking for, I'll buy it. And I said, all right, now you guys need to share this. So I'll buy like one, like one big cake, or one big drink, or one big thing. And I said, you guys share it. Inevitably, though, sharing becomes a point of conflict in the household. So all of the joy of receiving is broken because they feel cheated out of something that was in fact a gift. And so one will say to the other. No that's bigger than my slice. You give me that one. I want this one. You get this. And I get that. And it's this, this fight that drives me crazy. And I'm now like I'm at the point where I just want to ban dad gifts. That need to be shared. But there's this other part of me that really thinks that my kids need to learn this skill. And so I say all right. So that we don't have this fight anymore. Here's the rule from here forward. You cut. And your sisters get to pick. So imagine a piece of cake if you will. Like it's there. And it's got to be cut in equal parts. And so the person that's cutting. Because they know they're going to be choosing last. Will bust out a ruler sometimes. Lay the ruler across the top of the cake. Making sure that every part is just Perfect, but now we got a two-year-old and she just takes it all. I mean, it's just chaos no matter how you cut it, but it's a sense of what is it that I'm going to get out of this? What is it going to be for me? And I don't want to invest in something that I'm getting the short stick on. We've all had that feeling. It's not a problem really with children. It's a problem functionally with all of us. It's like, what's in it for me? What's my share? If I invest in this, will there be something of return for me? What do I get out of this? So I've been talking to my kids and I says, you know, in life, if you're kind, do you think you'll get more? And they said, yeah, absolutely, dad. If I'm kind to people, it's going to go better for me. If I ask for something and I'm kind, it's probably going to work out better. I said, do you think it's going to work out better for you if you share in life or if you hoard your possessions? They said, dad, I, I, I. I think if I share, I'm going to be a happier person because it's more likely that people will be kind and want to share with me. I said, exactly. You get the principle, but living it is something that's much harder. We can preach a million sermons, but can't live one sometimes. And our scripture this morning sort of brings us to this point of intersection with our own sense of optimal values and lived values, Optimal values is what it is that we hope for, but live values, somewhere usually is somewhere over here. That we know what scripture says about the kind of behavior that we should have that we should be gentle, that we should be uh, uh, kind, that we should be generous, that we should be loving. We know the ideal, but sometimes our ability to live into the ideal is somewhere below standards. And the problem with living below standards is that we start yielding back into our lives unmet expectations in all kinds of ways over and over again. We find ourselves now with the disciples. And the disciples are dealing with their own issues. They had expectations of the kind of Messiah that would come. Jesus was supposed to be the overthrower, to come into Jerusalem and overthrow the imperial power of Rome. That's what their expectation was. But then they see Jesus going to a cross. And they're thinking, okay, if this is going to turn, we're at the 11th hour now And if something doesn't happen fast, everything that we've invested our life in for the last three years is going to come crashing down on us. But he said angels can deliver him, even on the cross. So, like, we'll, we'll hang out, but then it doesn't. And now there's a functional breakdown with ideal and what it is that they've received. So who can blame them when Jesus breathes his last and utters the words into your hands, I commit my spirit, that the disciples scatter. They scatter and they all are displaced. Some going back to their old careers after three years of investment. Well, that didn't work out the way that I thought it would. My investment is not bringing back the return I hoped it would. I've given of myself, but it feels like God didn't keep his side of the bargain. That can be a real frustrating emotion and ones that we live with because sometimes we pray for things and it really doesn't work out the way that we hope it will. Sometimes we're believing for something and we've got all the faith for a miracle and yet the miracle doesn't happen. This is where the disciples are finding themselves. But Then something changes all of this. Christ is risen from the dead. Now, this isn't Easter, but but this is an important context to sort of lay the groundwork for where I'm going to preach. Christ is risen from the dead, and not only is he risen, but he's risen in in ways that are so much better than the way that he had lived before. Locked doors can't keep him out. He has no problem bringing miracles. He's in one sense recognizable in another sense unrecognizable. He is... The best version of Jesus. The risen one that has come that's bringing deliverance. And something radically changes in the hearts of the disciples. It wasn't scriptures that prophesied about this event that changed what was going to happen. It was the fact that they saw someone die the most brutal death that they had ever seen. Get up and go. And now has no limits. This scattered group of disciples, these doubters, these deniers, these cursers. And all the other uh, adjectives that you could use to describe their behavior. Are now functionally looking at the risen Christ and something is changing. So now we're only 50 days away from this event. 50 days of away from running and not following God with the way that they should. Of denying and all that came with that. And, and Jesus says, okay, it's getting ready to get real now. Because now this mission is going to be on your shoulders. You are the ones. And you hear the words right before Jesus ascends into heaven. What does he say? Go into all the world and make disciples of all Nations. And Mark's telling of this. He says, Cast out devils, heal the blind, raise the dead. If you happen to get bit by a snake, we don't have snakes here at this church, but if you happen to get bit by a snake, don't worry, it's not going to harm you because I'm with you. And then he tells them to go and wait. For 10 days, they're waiting. Now, this is a big ask. And I think it sometimes gets muted in the way that we tend to read Scripture because 10 days doesn't seem like a long time, but 10 days without a job is is a bad thing. When you are paycheck to paycheck, 10 days of waiting for anything is very difficult. These are poor men that have families that have wives and Jesus asked on their life it's pretty hefty go and wait in Jerusalem until the promise that I'm going to give you comes but they've seen the risen Lord they know that God's plan is huge they know that God is up to something big and so they are all in on this risk This risk and probably have spouses telling them, what are you doing? Billy needs to go to class. Who's going to take him to school? Who's going to pay the bills? Do you know the kind of situation that we're in? All of those emotions are undercurrents. And sometimes we miss that because we assume that their lives are so much different than our own. But to make that assumption is to really miss the point. They go to Jerusalem all in on something because they have experienced the power of the risen Lord. And they're there to wait. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Scripture says after 10 days of waiting, after 10 days of wondering how they're gonna pay the bills, after 10 days of being in a situation that they weren't sure what was going to happen, all they knew was that Jesus had told them to wait But remember, there was over 500 witnesses at the point of his ascension, but now only 120 in this upper room. That's it. Only 380 that heard the command to go and wait, and only 120 are there. And after 10 days of waiting without Jesus, there's a sound. Sound. Like a mighty rushing wind. And it comes and fills this, this place where they are sitting. This powerful wind moves in. And, and something happens. Fire. Like cloven tongues of fire are resting on top of their heads. They are filled with the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in other tongues. And they move out onto the street. And people from all different nations hear the gospel being preached in their own ears. And something Radically changes. The spirit of God is being poured out. Peter likens it to Joel's prophecy. That says sons and daughters would prophesy. That young men would see visions. And old men would dream dreams. And even on the servants and the maidservants. This spirit will be poured out. And it was awesome. Peter gives an altar call. And 3,000 people. In one day. Are converted. These 3,000 people are from all over the world and they're converted. And something has changed about the way that life will be for these forever. They were singularly focused. They were purposed more than ever before. And the power of God is actively engaged. They are accomplishing The vision, go into all the world and make disciples of all people. But in this moment, all of the world had come to them. And they are proclaiming the gospel. And the result is powerful. Expectations exceeded. We didn't know that when God went up, he was going to send his spirit down. We didn't know that when he spent his spirit down that it wouldn't feel like we needed to look and find where Jesus is to have a conversation with him. That the spirit of God would reside within each one. And the evidence of that was the cloven fire upon their heads and the tongues that they were preaching that God had made tabernacle inside of people. Whoa. This is not what we expected. And sometimes, you know, we're a spirit-filled church, but sometimes I think in, the, in spirit-filled churches, we can get really focused on all of the, the power and, and all of the way in which God moved, and I think that there's something to that. But I want to get into the common life of the people that brought uncommon results. Acts chapter 2, I want to read six or seven verses of Scripture for you. Those who accepted his message, verse 41, were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a spirit-filled church. It means to be completely transformed in the way that we're living our common lives. Not to just have an experience. Uh, Mark Chaves talks about that in in his sociological research of the way that many people function in religious life. He says in his studies that many times people have experience, but it functionally doesn't change the way that they live. They have a moment and will shout and, and declare God's victory and go out walking in defeats. And I wonder sometimes if there's this disconnect between ideal and experience. Because experiences with God should lead us to this kind of uncommon living in our common life, where there's not any need within the community. We think that's a beautiful picture of heaven. But the problem is is that when we're tasked or we're asked to participate in that kind of community, we are measuring our slice. Well, I'm not going to give more of myself because if I give more of myself, somebody's going to get way more of me than they deserve. And I was only so much of me to go around. I've got so much to do, so much to live for. And so I will give this slice, but not all of this. And here's where things begin to break down for us. Because the mark of a spirit-filled life is, yes, the power, is, yes, the tongues, is yet the fire. It's all of those things. But if it doesn't affect the way that we live every single day, then it was just a flash in the pan. It was rattle without revival because pictures of revival look like this where the power of God is being manifest and people are being converted and lives are being transformed where there is no need within the community of faith because if there is a need, the community will meet it. Powerfully excited about meeting it. And so often I'll hear people talk about being spirit-filled and then go out at home and cuss their wife out. Don't tell me the spirit is living inside of you if that's the functional way that you live your life. Because that is not the mark of a spirit-filled person. Much less a spirit-filled church. Now, this church is in... bit of a predicament because it was a little easier when Jesus was doing the work but now they are to do the work and in one day the church explodes and they've got 3,000 new babies in which to bring into the the common life of the church. Now my wife a few years ago she was giving birth to uh, baby Adeline just I guess a little over two years ago and when she walked into the hospital they said I'm sorry we don't have room for you. You see this? Every one of these delivery rooms are full. All we have is a room that we have affectionately called the broom closet. My wife said, you can put me wherever you want, but what's going to happen is I'm going to deliver. I am going to deliver this baby because I don't care where it happens, just not in my house or my car, somewhere in this hospital. And so she had baby Adeline in the broom closet. But yet that's often where the power of God moves. It just doesn't happen in church experiences. It doesn't just happen in this place. But it happens, at least in this New Testament context, in the context of everywhere that you are. That to be a catalytic person, that you recognize that you are uniquely given the power of the Spirit to bring people into the uncommon life of the kingdom of God. But here's where the rub is for us, is that we know the ideal. And we would love to bring people to a church that looks like this. But what happens when we don't look like that? When everything isn't the way that it should be? Or that maybe our ideal is that we've created ideals that are maybe different than this one where everything has to be in place, where the music and lights need to scratch our fancy. We sort of lose the tether to what this original text is calling these people to. It's a radical, it's a dirty, it's a muddy experience of assimilating. And in this kind of environment, the power of the Spirit is moving. Signs and wonders are there. There's unity in the church and the miracles are bounding forth. But it's not just the miracles that are happening in the supernatural way, but the very natural ways that people have come to live together in common life. Wouldn't you love to be in a community where there's no need? Wouldn't you love to be in a community that breaks bread together and gathers for prayer? Now, they're not just doing it sometimes. Their lives stopped. Fishermen stopped fishing. Tax collectors stopped collecting. And they got into this radical new community that was creating a whole new platform for the way in which life would be lived. I imagine that they still had to go to work every day, but they're going to work as different types of people because there's still income that needs to be earned, but the life of God so overwhelmed the experience that they were forever different as a result. How is it then that they came in 50 days from being doubters, deniers, runners, to these people that are now catalysts that we are still recipients of their change. First thing I noticed about this text is that they, these 12 or 11, they add Matthias, 12 with him. They share a common vision. When we think about what it is that we are called to do for the Lord, it all starts in the commonness of the vision that sort of brings us all together. The commonness of the vision of the Lord is found, as I've already alluded to in the Great Commission, that the common vision of the church is go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. If we were to look at this big picture, bird's eye view, of what God's mission is for us, is that we are to make disciples of every nation of the world. That that's what the vision is. It's to make disciples and to build people. It isn't to have church services. Now, church services are a part of the way that we do discipleship, and they did have church services. People that say that they did not meet in collective and, and large gatherings are foolish. Why does the scripture say that they didn't, they met every day in the temple courts? They were having church every day in the temple courts. That's where they were having ministry. That's where the gospel was being preached. That's the platform in which the community of faith is being built. But it didn't just stop there. It happened in households where people are breaking bread and inviting people over and they're sharing together. When there were needs that were happening in the community, they were being met because there was people that had been so impacted by the kingdom of God that they knew that there was nothing of earthly value that they were living for that compared to this. So I'll sell a field. And I'll pull this into the work of God because in doing so, I know that the Lord will use it in a very powerful way. These 12 disciples are on a mission to make Christ known because God sent them out and said, go and do it. And they believed that God could use them to do it. They weren't saying, well, I'm not a good public speaker. Man, I wish I'd listened a little bit more when Jesus was preaching that Sermon on the Mount." I've got ADD. You know what I mean? And he was saying some things. I didn't know if he was saying blessed are the peacemakers or blessed are the cheesemakers. You know what I mean? They're people that have one thoughts. And that is, I did hear this. Is that God said to go. And because he said go, that means that the power I need to go is resting inside of me through the spirit. The spirit that awakens our hearts to call us to live into the power of the kingdom of God. Now for CLC, that vision that was just as plain in those days is our vision as well. Is that we want this entire region, the whole triangle area, to know God. To know God by the way that we behave as a community of faith. But to know God because they see the active power of God through and in our hearts. The go into all the world for us is that they would know God. This entire triangle area. And then when we finish reaching that, we'll reach all of North Carolina. And when we reach that, we'll reach the United States in the uttermost parts. And this church is already invested in all of those ways. Missionaries that only minister to the United States that are not in this region. Ministers that are only stationed in North Carolina. And we invest in those and all of our missionaries all across the world. Because we take seriously what it is that God's asked us to do. That we together as a community are called to live our common life in uncommon ways. And ways that radically transform the world in which we sit where we work, where we play. That we are the disciple makers. We are the catalyst for change in our culture. And many times we can bemoan all of the brokenness in our world and do nothing functionally to change it. We could see need and even look need in the eye and be unmoved by it. But that's not the way that this church functioned. When they saw needs, they met them. And when they found themselves frustrated in their way of meeting those needs, they innovated. We see this in the Acts 7 and Acts 8 account where there were people arguing over what I just described earlier about their share of help because they were in some pretty desperate places. And Grecian Jews are arguing with Hebraic Jews about their portion because someone was being cheated. When it was being cut, we were being left to help. So the apostles appointed people and set up a system that can meet those needs in effective ways. But it always brings them back to the vision. When something's outside of the vision, those things, they, they, they may matter, but they're not near as important as why it is that we exist. And that churches should zis, exist not to be a social club or to have the very best departmental things. Those are a part of what it may do. But its purpose is to make Christ known in all the world. Go and make disciples of all nations. And here for us in the triangle, it is not coincidence or some measure of happenstance that we have all of the nations that have been brought to us just like on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. They had people that were traveling in for this holy holiday and when the gospel struck them, people were being converted from all different nations. Axes are like this. From every nation under heaven, there were people there. God brought them all in mass so they could reach them so then the gospel would go out to those places as well. We do that here through some of our 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 campus missionaries, we support several campus ministries, missionaries that are on the campuses that are bringing the gospel to the nations. We want to be more actively involved in the business community and reaching the business diversity in this area. And that's something that we have a passion and vision for. But we've got to stop counting portions and saying, well, I'm not getting my share. And understand instead that we get more than enough Not when we try to get our share, but when we learn to share. When we learn to share the gifts, the talents, and the call with inside of us. As scripture says in a different way, give and it will be given unto you. A good measure pressed down, shaken, and running over. It's when we give of our time and talent and treasure that we see the kingdom of God bound forth in the ways that are remarkably common. But we've got to watch those that would try to rob this very beautiful part of what it means to be a spirit-filled church and what it means to be alive in the power of God. Because if we're not careful, life will rob us of the very essence of what makes us unique. And the church becomes common in ways that look like any other organization or institution. But that's not what the church is called to be. It's to be the bastion where the gates of hell will never prevail against. It's to be the place of shelter, of comfort, of love, of peace. And you know what? We are all contributors to that. And if this church is not that, it's because we're not contributing rightly to that. If we see divisions in, 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 in people, our church should contribute to its reconciliation. If we see brokenness caused by racism or conflict, we address it and we call it back into order. This is what the kingdom of God does. All surrounded that vision. If you want to be a catalyst in any way, you need to be a person of vision. And you also need to be very mindful of those that would try to frustrate that vision. few years ago, there was a terrible hurricane. Devastated. Devastated. Hundreds of thousands of people. And they were at a loss. Churches pulled, including us, we pulled our resources together and we were sitting over immediately relief because Clean drinking water was something that was not present in these situations. Food was harder to come by because stores were shut down and even roads were closed because they'd been washed out or they'd been overcome by, by debris. And, and so we wanted to be a part of that and we were as a church and so we send our resources and this is one of the stories. People were coming in mass and we were, they were collecting water and they were collecting food But some were terrorists to that plan. Came and collected food and water and moseyed on down the road a little bit further and started selling the things that they just received for free. How terrible. But sometimes we can be guilty of the same things because we'll take the gifts that God has given us for free and we'll only prostitute them for gain. God wants his gifts to be active and at work within the body of Christ. And when you deprive the body of Christ of your portion, we all suffer. The second thing that I noticed in this text about these catalysts is not only that they share a vision, but they were united in a singular purpose. What is the difference between vision and purpose? Vision is like taking a bird's eye view of what this will look like when everything is happening. In the case of the disciples or the Great Commission, it's when everyone knows God. Everyone is made into a disciple. That's what God's vision looks like when it's complete, is that everyone would know him. We hear it again, echoed in Peter, I'm not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It's the Lord's way. It's his manner. Purpose answers a different question. And that question is why? Why do we do what it is that we do? Why do we need to go and reach the lost? Why do we need to meet together in fellowship? Why do we need to share our resources? Why do we need to come together? It answers those questions, the why. Why do we need to reach the lost? We reach the lost because the lost are lost and because they need to know that God loves them and because God's why is, is worth his death on a cross, then it should be worth it to us to at least cross the street. It at least should be worth it to us. If God has died in the most brutal way imaginable for the people that we're called to reach, then it should at least move us to offer a kind word to our waitress. That's the why. Why? The reason why we pray together is because God has chosen prayer, a very corporate thing, that he says when two or three are doing it together, that he's in the midst of them. And that when we pray, it's like God has joined our prayer meeting every single time. And that if we want to see God move, we need to get with other believers and pray with them so that God will. He's always meant prayer to, yes, be private, but also public, always public, always private, always public, both. And the reason we need both is because sometimes we just have to have a one-on-one conversation because I'm a little messed up today. But that conversation should lead me to believers that will say, I'm going through something. Can you pray me through? Can we link arms and believe? Breaking bread, where we come together in fellowship. Just to enjoy the uniqueness and the giftedness of one another. And to feel the expression of those giftings rubbing together. Catalysts will always be united, not just with a vision, but a common purpose. Their purpose was that people would be invested in their purpose. Each one doing what it is that they were called to do. Apostles teach while others open their homes, while some are organizing the events at the temple, All of the gifts are engaged in this text in very powerful and unique ways. But the problem is, is when we are not functionally doing the same things, we can get really frustrated about statistics, as I shared last week, where the churches are in decline. Part of the reason, if we're going to be honest with one another, that there is decline is because we refuse to be a really, truly spirit-filled people that will live this way. There's something about this community that should look different than just another business or another organization or another nonprofit. There's something functionally different about church that draws us all together in a whole different kind of community. They wanted every single person to know God and discover their purpose, find their way into it this very diverse people all finding their way and some could give and and some had needs and and everybody doing their part. Fellowship of the believers. Perhaps in your Bible, if you were looking at this part, it would say the fellowship of the believers. The mark of the Spirit-filled church was a people that had a shared life where they were building friendships, where the skills were there to help sharpen each other's faith where they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, listening to the word of God. But to be devoted, it's not just to hear it and go, good word, pastor. Now I'm gonna live how I want to. Devotion here means something some, so much more concrete than that, that they were applying the wisdom as God's word for their lives for that moment. They weren't saying, this is a word for my spouse. This, this is a word for me. And they were digesting that word. And in that environment where friendships were built and faith was being sharpened, they were also building understanding of one another, where differences didn't divide anymore but were celebrated. Your gifts and call will always make room for you in the kingdom of God, meaning that it's about being different that actually makes us who we are in all of its diversity. It also keeps emotions in check. Because when you love people, it's hard to stay mad at. You don't believe me. If you have kids, you know what I mean. Because sometimes your kids will make you upset, but you don't just toss them out the house just because they frustrated you and say you're never coming back. You might kick them out for a minute, but you're going to say you can come back when it's time for dinner. And the reason we do that is because we love them. And part of the reason why people get angry is because they don't live in this kind of fellowship that keeps emotions in check because we're not to be angry because we're too busy loving each other. We're too busy loving each other into their better life and calling them to it and them calling us to it. That this is what that looks like. And also collaboration and execution. They were going out. And the Bible says that daily, listen, God was adding to their number. I'm asking a hard question. And I don't want you to answer it. When was the last time you led someone to Christ? The marker of the Spirit filled church was that they were growing. And they were winning people to the Lord daily. They were spurring each other on in their gifts. And those gifts and talents were actively engaged in making the body of Christ more itself as each part of it did what it was designed to do. I've got to hurry. But this is important. The third thing I see as a marker of these catalysts was that they were all in. There wasn't really backup plans. As I mentioned earlier in my message, they didn't have a financial plan backdrop to hold them up they were all in trusting that the lord would be enough when was the last time that you recognized that for your life that jesus is enough and we started clc we knew that we could never compete with big churches and so we didn't even try we knew we didn't have the resources to even put everything in place that we wanted to put in If you were here in those days, you would have seen black curtain walls over here, one that divided over here. This was a storage area over here. We had an open space back there, and everything was partitioned with these black curtains, and there was no carpet on the floor. It was just black and yellow VCT tile, and that's what we had. And we asked ourselves a question, and we've sort of sat with this question our whole time of being a church, and is this, is, is Jesus enough? without all the fancy trappings that many churches are are adopting these days and nothing wrong with any of those things i think they can be powerful tools but if we lose sight of the fact that jesus is enough and jesus is all we need then what we do is we functionally start becoming organizations like every other organization. Either Christ is enough or he's not. And if Christ isn't enough, I don't want to be a part of this church because he's all I want and he's all I desire. He's my passion, my hope, and what I want is everyone, you, me, all of us, to know that hope. Because if I think I've got to have these seven steps to success without Jesus, I'm not interested. If it's going to take this to have financial breakthrough without Jesus. I'm not interested because he's my everything. And he's always been this church's everything. And this church's success moving forward is contingent upon this idea that we've got to be all in on this. This kind of life, this kind of common life that's lived out in uncommon ways. Part of the draw and the attractional part of that early church in Acts was that the community was so much different than the rest of culture. When we start looking so much like everything else in culture, we lose our witness. There's something supposed to be completely and utterly distinct about the body of Christ And so over the last four weeks, I've been asking you about ways in which you can invest, about where your gifts can be in service, about seven ways that you want to make an impact, about asking you to come and to be a part of this building campaign. Why do we need a new building? Because there's greater ministry for us to do, not so that we can have the biggest and the best, but more place for Jesus to do bigger things and to touch more lives and to save more lost people and to clean up some addicts and to cause the power of God to come into businesses and cause those businesses to prosper. This kind of church. And these disciples and those 120 men and women together were all in on that. They said, if God shows up, there won't be any divide. Now, and no, they didn't all look like each other. We know that. I mean, can I just, you bear with me for just a minute? Worship team, we're going to get ready because you're going to be coming up in just a second. But why don't you just listen to some of the nations that were there, that were a part of this church that's meeting in typical. It's Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and other parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. Jews and Arabs worshiping God and Jesus the Messiah together. We hear them declaring the wonders of our God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they said, what does this mean? When I see our church actively engaged in impacting culture, I want those that are onlooking to ask the very same question, what does it mean when my life is disrupted and they are a community of love and of prayer? What does it mean that I don't have power to even live, but the supernatural power of God is active? And may they cry out like they did to Peter as they were cut to the heart. What must we do to be saved? We want what it is that you have. You see, church, we are all called to be catalysts in this movement that God has brought here to the Cary area called CLC. A covenant community living in deep relationship with one another that will fight for one another, that will pray for one another, and that will be committed to the prospect of living together despite the differences within the community towards what it is that God has for us. This is a catalytic church. And this is the focus that we have moving forward. And my invitation is to invite everyone here to be a part of that. With all your curves and all your edges, all your perfect imperfections as the song goes, all of it. We want it and we need it and we're asking for it. Join Pastor Shane of Covenant Life Church next time for another powerful and inspirational message. To find out more about Covenant Life Church, log on to www.covenant-life.com or call 919-462-1932. Remember, living life without direction is meaningless. Living a purpose life with direction from Jesus Christ is your life fulfilled.